Hi everyone, welcome to Narcissism Recovery Podcast. This is Yitz Epstein, I'm your host. I'm a narcissistic abuse life coach and today we have a very special show. I am joined by Krista Lin. Krista is a former patient, a Deputy General Counsel of Airbus One Web Satellites, which is a company that designs and mass manufactures satellites for low earth orbit. She's a full-time single mom of one, I'm sorry, three kids, a one-year-old, three-year-old, and four-year-old, a blogger under the handle Recovering Superwoman, and founder of General Counsel U, which is a member membership learning community for law students, associates, wanting to make a transition to in-house or in-house lawyers looking to level up their careers. Krista, thank you so much for joining me. It's such an honor to have you here. It is my pleasure to be here. I'm so glad to talk to you anytime, especially uh, on your show. Yeah, of course, of course. And uh, again, I mean, thank you for coming on. And, and, you know, one of the reasons I did want to have you on is obviously we worked together uh, a while back and um, and you are obviously a lawyer. And one of the things that I've noticed pretty consistently is people taking advantage of the courtroom for uh, personal gains, specifically narcissists and uh, kind of influencing uh, maybe the jury, just people around them to, to side with them. So I wanted to get what are your experiences as a lawyer in the courtroom I'm just going to open the floor. Please uh, advise us. Yeah, um, you know, narcissism in the law or narcissism in lawyers, it's a really fascinating topic. And it's something that, you know, I, I really didn't recognize the congruencies between, you know, what makes a successful lawyer and characteristics that narcissists um, have really until I started understanding narcissism more myself. And I'm um, a, on a lifelong journey as a recovering codependent, so I've um, certainly been exposed to uh, various forms of narcissism in my life, and you and I, as you noted, have done some extensive work um, trying to kind of heal from that abuse, um, but I also see it as such a prevalent part of the profession and the practice of law, as well as um, persons that are very litigious or involved in perhaps family court battles that where narcissism is very present as well. So I kind of seen it from both sides. For sure. Yeah. And, and I think we talked about this uh, a while back is that, you know, the courtroom, it almost uh, enables narcissism. It almost, uh, it almost forces you to be narcissistic if you want to win, let's say a court case. So how do you, how do you combat that? Like, I mean, I feel like the odds are stacked against you. What is your approach to how you can influence the courtroom to maybe educate them on this type of abuse or how you can sway people to understand what's actually going on? So, I mean, we got to look at it from two sides, right? First, it's how does it work if you are, you know, a, a um, person that is part of litigation, you know, if you are a plaintiff or a respondent and or you, know, you are going to court against a narcissist or a lawyer, perhaps that seems to, to be a narcissist or have those qualities. And then there's really, what if you are opposing counsel and you are dealing with a lawyer or a judge even who, who yeah. is a narcissist. So I really think it's, you know, two different ways. So, I mean, my rule of thumb in my practice of law is to have impeccable standards and impeccable integrity. Um, that's something that I never, ever want questioned. And sometimes that means making really tough calls, but it always means doing the next right thing. And right. so it's very easy because, as I mentioned, that the, the things that make successful lawyers also happen to share a lot of traits with the characteristics of narcissism. Um, sure. It's very easy to make it to, just to fall victim of, of acting in that way. So I mean, you have to have some sort of guiding principle that makes sure first that you don't fall victim of, you know, right. narcissism. And by victim, I mean that you don't act in that way. But right. if you're going to court against someone that is a narcissist, 
um, particularly if they're an attorney. I mean, I think that you have to understand what it is that you're dealing with. Just like if you, a doctor diagnoses you with cancer, you have to understand what you're facing in order to adjust your diet, your lifestyle, choose a course of treatment that would be best for, you know, for you to combat that. And so similarly with dealing with a narcissist in court, you really need to first understand narcissism. Um, sure. You know, in my, in my own personal battle, um, personally, mostly, but, you know, also a little bit professionally, it's really been about understanding what makes narcissists tick, um, understanding narcissistic injury and what kinds of things like play against their ego and the things that, you know, sure. could be damaging so that either you jump on those opportunities when they're, they're there or you avoid them because it really just depends right. on, you know, what your objective is. So, I mean, I don't think there's a one size fit all, fits all answer sure. other than it takes a lot of strategic methodical preparation. Unfortunately, <laughs> narcissists are not super methodical. In fact, while I, I mentioned that, you know, I think narcissists happen to be successful, you know, usually because they share traits that make successful lawyers. I don't think it makes them better lawyers because uh -huh. they're not able to step back and see the forest from right. the trees and to have that 100%. strategic methodical approach. Because at the end of the day, it's really all about the narcissist, right? It's not about the right. client. It's not about the company right. that they're representing. It's about what their sure. needs and their need to validate themselves. And I think that ultimately does not, you know, that makes them fail. I agree. I have high reactivity uh, and, and ultimately that clouds their judgment. So I, I totally agree. And, you know, one of the things I tell people is, um, you know, the best education on narcissistic abuse is unfortunately having to go through it. I don't think you can really understand narcissism unless you have. So obviously you've had your experiences with, with narcissistic abuse. If you care to share, if you're comfortable sharing, what were some of the experiences you had? And, uh, you know, how, how did you overcome it? And I guess I'd love to know based on that, how you can use that in the courtroom. But let's just start with maybe some of your personal experiences. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, as you noted, you know, we spent a lot of time kind of working through and trying to understand the wounds of childhood that kind of allowed me to become codependent and then to attract people in my life that, you know, sought <laughs> to take advantage of that, which, you know, um, falls, falls in the category of narcissism nine times out of 10. Um, my experience was really, um, that stemmed from, from my marriage. Uh, I, uh, I, I married, you know, someone that I thought was a very good person. And what that actually was, was someone showed me the good parts of them. And I wanted to believe so desperately because I choose to believe that all people are inherently good. And it's just mm -hmm. easier to live your life that way to, to see, to, to see the good in the world than it is to believe that someone can actually be vindictive or evil or so, you know, cunning, um, particularly towards someone For they sure. love. My experience was was largely, um, I was I got very caught up in it. I didn't know what I was experiencing. And I think just like anything else, knowledge is empowering. And I didn't know for for years what I was dealing with. It was only, um, you know, after I mean I went through it all. You know, emotional abuse, financial abuse, domestic sure. abuse, you know, physical, um, you know, uh, some some minor sexual abuse as well, and and every kind of you know, situation. I, I think I learned to live in a fight or flight mode. That was actually my normal for, for quite some time that it took me until I was safely extracted from my situation for, you know, a period of months before I realized that like my heart wasn't racing all the time, yeah. <laughs> you know, and that like, I started sure. to recognize, you know, feeling some sense of calm. Um, 
but I didn't realize how dangerous, you know, narcissism can be, particularly for a codependent like myself. Mm-hmm. And the person that, you know, I was in a relationship with um, was also an alcoholic. And that's not uncommon. Um, it's not uncommon, as, as I'm sure you know, to have some sort of um, relationship between addiction and narcissism. It's, it's not always there, but, but it's not uncommon. And so, I mean, it was really a constant battle for me of trying to keep myself safe, my kids safe trying to make sure that because I was married to this person that, you know, he, he wasn't wreaking havoc on our lives or destroying our finances or, you know, our our cars or or anything else. But it was also for me, largely living in secret. Uh, I was was mortified and embarrassed by the things that were going on in my personal life. Um, So much so that, you know, I took great efforts to conceal it. Um, I found myself lying um, for my partner, um, you know, covering up and, and, uh, mostly as a, not to put forward an idea of like, oh, I have this perfect family, but because I was, I was absolutely mortified. I didn't want people to see me, you know, as weak. I'm in a profession that, you know, I am literally paid to exercise my legal judgment, yeah, um, sure. sound legal judgment. And I, I really was worried that if I seem to have such bad judgment in my personal life, that my professional judgment would be questioned as well. And, you know, my journey was just largely about coming to an understanding of what it was. I I mean, I had worked with a codependency support group and been reading about the subject for years prior to um, actually recognizing that that I was codependent and that, you know, I was in a relationship with, you know, someone who displayed narcissistic tendencies or or qualities. And um, it, it was it was really not until I understood it and learned about it not that I could name my, you know, my partner as that, but that I recognized the parts of, of myself that were unhealthy and that needed to be well and couldn't do so, you know, in the marriage. Sure, sure. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, inter- it's, it's interesting because uh, one of the things that people appreciate, I guess, about my, this, this specific podcast is it's, it's so clarifying. I do find that clarity is a first, it's such, such an important step, not the whole, not the whole step, you know, not the whole journey. But so I guess my question to you is with the clarity that you gain, with the awareness and with obviously the healing, how do you, how do you translate that into the courtroom? I can imagine it makes you a much more sensitive, self-aware and powerful lawyer, but I'd love to get your thoughts. <laughs> I mean, I'd like to think so. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> that is critical to success of being a lawyer in general is being self-aware. Yeah. Um, that's not something that narcissists are great at, right? Not <laughs> so, so much. <laughs> just like we, I was saying earlier that, you know, being a narcissist might make you a more successful lawyer, but it, it won't always make you a better lawyer. And sometimes you need a better lawyer. You need a more strategic, methodical lawyer. Right. So self-awareness is a huge part of my practice of law generally, just uh, knowing my weaknesses, knowing my strengths, understanding yeah when I need to adapt to the room or the situation and being you know, flexible and having the soft and hard skills to, to kind of modify my approach you know, strategically to sure. effectuate a certain aim. So, I mean, it 100%. really, if you're looking at the courtroom, you're looking at, you know, and, and I'm not a courtroom lawyer. I, I say courtroom lawyer as though that's like an actual phrase. It's not, uh-huh. I work for a company, so I'm in house and I'm, right. I'm working in that's business. Right. And actually you're probably just as <laughs> likely to uh-huh. find um, narcissists in, in business or politics as well but what I've what I've taken from that is an understanding that I know what I'm dealing with when I am interacting with you know individuals that have these tendencies or these traits 
And it's, it's just like a tool in my toolbox. Like I understand right. now how to modify my approach. I mean, I really think the best way to deal with a narcissist is to not have to, but in right. a professional setting, just like in a co-parenting relationship right. or, you know, you in a to. marriage while you're going through a divorce, like you don't always have the luxury to cut out, sure. right? Like you might not be able to leave your job because you need to put food on the table for your kids or, you know, you might not be able to just request a transfer to a different apartment so you don't have to interact you know, with a specific, you know, superior. So really, um, like I said, just knowing what I'm dealing with gives me time and space to mentally prepare. Um, it also gives me the confidence to know that not only am I not going to be sucked back in and I'm not going to fuel the narcissistic supply, I won't be supply anymore. Right. Um, but I, I also know that like, I know how to beat it because I've been through it before right. and I know how, you know, how to navigate and it might, it, it might take some trial and error. In fact, like still in my, you know, interpersonal relations, like I still right. find myself having to continue to educate myself and continue to listen story to stories. Yeah. And, and like your podcast, for example, I love it. And it's like six to 10 minute tidbits, you know, of information yeah. that I can Good. easily digest I'm glad. because sure. that gives me the, the tools to just go back, go back and try again and yeah. to not slip into the, you know, okay, I'm just going to, we have a tendency to explain ourselves as codependents, particularly to narcissists, right? Sure. And so, I mean, if you're dealing with that in a professional setting, when you feel like your your work ethic or your work product could be questioned, um, if it's a superior or where you feel like you're being accused of being unethical or a liar or, you know, you lose your credibility when it's opposing counsel. Um, sure. You, you re- I have the confidence like now that I can go ahead and, and make my way through that without feeling the need to over explain myself to this person right. over and over again, because to me, that was one of the hardest lessons. And in fact, I, <laughs> I wish there was like a school that I could go to or I could <laughs> learn not to how to not to engage. <laughs> um, yeah. But we feel like the need to do that because as lawyers right. also, like we want to explain, I have a sign in my office that says, I'm not arguing. I'm telling you why I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> That's what so we have funny. a tendency to do. Like we yeah. want to explain how we were, even if we're not right, like why we think or feel a certain way. Right. Well, we assume, I mean, the other person, but rather just to validate 100%. our own existence, right? No doubt. I mean, we assume, I couldn't agree more. We assume that because they didn't understand it, we must not be the ones explaining it, but they're actually taking steps to actually make sure or, you know, deflect and not understand, or at least make you feel that way. So I want to jump into the healing journey because obviously I had a front row seat to, to your amazing journey. And I want to talk about if you're comfortable sharing, you know, how, cause you just, the, the role that you've taken on, you know, especially with some of the things you now do as, as what you call the recovering superwoman and how you influence people, which I definitely want to get into that a little bit later as well. But how, what would you say are some of the key elements on your healing journey? Um, how you've been able to overcome the stuff and not only overcome it, but like use it to thrive. I find that fascinating. So I take what was kind of my my philosophy for birthing my children. This is such a strange enough. <laughs> but um, you know, someone explained to me like when you're going through labor, that like it's not like when you break an arm, like that's pain that hurts, that that has right. no purpose because it's right. wrong. Something in your body is broken. Right. Whereas when you're having a child, you know, the process of labor is difficult right. and intense, but it's actually what your body is supposed to do. Right. So your body's designed to go through it. So to me, I look, I used to just use the phrase, there's a purpose to this pain, right? Mm. And what I wanted to do, particularly because I was going through my divorce while I was pregnant with my third child, I filed for divorce when I was two months pregnant. 
Um, so it was very present of mine, the, the combined journeys of like going through childbirth and the beginning yeah. of my recovery process. Sure. Um, and I wanted to make something from the pain, not make something in a, like a commercial way. I wanted to sell it, but like, I right. wanted to, if I had to Meaning. go through this, I wanted to help other people. And I really find that, um, no matter what it is in life, take narcissism aside for a minute. Like if you're, if you're struggling with something, like knowing that someone else has been there is really helpful. Like if you're, you lose a parent or, yeah. you know, you go through some sort of devastating medical, um, you know, medical journey, like knowing that other people have made it through where you were and were standing in your shoes at one time is really helpful. And for me, 100%. when I was early in my journey, um, I know that's what I craved. Like I wanted to hear other people, you know, having made it through. And honestly, that's how I found your podcast. Um, I had started, I wanted, I listened to a lot of birth stories when I was pregnant because I wanted to hear about people going through labor and delivery, delivery successfully and unmedicated. And I thought I'll do the same thing with my recovery process. Like I want to hear stories of people surviving, not like the details of the, the pain and the, the difficult like parts of the journey, but the actual healing, um, not just the tools, but the actual journey. So for me, sharing, you know, what I, where I was, what I was going through was critical for me because it, it allowed me to give a voice to it, which takes away some of the power, um, sure. just from the top. And it, it made me think that if I could just state this, not only would it be helpful for me to get it, you know, out of my head and my heart, but maybe it would reach someone else. And so I did two things right. in my journey. I started a blog, which was really an internal facing thing. When I started it, I was just encouraged by therapists to, to journal in some sort. And I often wrote about this. And, and then one day I started just publishing. Um, and yeah. the other piece of it was I became really active on LinkedIn and the platform for like professionals to connect where I just kind of started sure. sharing in 1300 characters, like yeah. bits of my story. Yeah. I started just receiving messages from people, you know, from around the world, just saying like, not ready to talk about this, but I just needed to hear that or like just validating my existence or experience. Um, and that provided a lot of healing as well. I don't think that's a necessary path, but it was one that really worked for me. Um, my journey was not linear in any way, shape or form, and, and it's not over. Um, I'd like to think that I'm much farther down the path than I was, you know, two or three years ago. And, and certainly that I was prior to working with you. Um, but I still find sometimes, you know, three steps forward in that journey and then one or two back, um, right. just because of it, there are setbacks and, um, I know I, I, you shared this with me and it's something that I share with people all the time, which is life will provide you with, present you with opportunities to test your new skills and your new knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> and you're 100%. like, why is this happening to me? <laughs> like, I already had, I went through it. I thought I overcame it. Yeah, I thought we I thought we'd been there, done that. Exactly, and why you know why am I going through this? And the reason is because you are different now. Like you might still right. have parts of you that attract those people into your lives, or maybe they just appear there because of you know something that has nothing to do with you. But right. it really is an opportunity to to use what you've learned and to forge a different outcome. So that that's right. a big part of of my journey as well. Um, yeah. Healing is hard. It's, it's really hard. Yeah. I'm aware. 
You know, it's interesting because, first of all, I agree. And I think that one of the things that I refer to uh, when you say, you know, the, the developing the skills, you know, developing the spiritual muscles, I call it, because, you know, you know, we are, uh, you know, the way I see it is this recovery journey, sort of like, a, uh, you know, um, you're, you're a warrior. So warriors are going to get battle tested and that's going to, it's going to make you stronger. There is purpose to the pain. Um, and one of the spiritual muscles that uh, that you have to build, or many of them, but one of the most specific, and I think most important ones, specifically for codependence, is you know saying no, setting a boundary, and confrontation. And that is really, really difficult because what that does is that um, that's really, as I see it, sort of a confrontation with your fears and confrontation with yourself and your pain. And um, so, can you talk about? I mean, especially as a lawyer, you know, somebody who you know you have to kind of get get in the trenches and be very confrontational. Um, how, how has the healing journey, I guess, helped you become more confrontational or more, I guess, assertive? So let's talk about first how there's really, I'm sure there's all kinds of different codependents, but from my understanding, they largely fall into the people pleasing category. Right. Um, but there's a small segment of codependents that have many of the other characteristics, but maybe don't, don't have that people pleasing personality. Now, right. I have never personally experienced like the difficulty with confrontation, um, being assertive or people pleasing in my professional life. Like, I don't know if I just have like the ability to segregate or compartmentalize, (laughs) but I, that, that hasn't been difficult for me. What's hard for me as a codependent, I think is my fear, not so much of that confrontation, but the fear of the emotion behind it, the fear of Mm -hmm. being rejected, fear of being alone, that, that I don't even realize. So for me, it's really the confrontation in my own mind, the battle Mm -hmm. in my own mind of, you know, the fear of the unknown, if you will. And if I, if, if I don't do X, Y, and Z, what will happen? Um, Or just liking to fix things and to fix people, right. And people are not projects and we shouldn't treat them as such. And that's a really you know, hard lesson to learn when you approach life, like, let me just take this on because, you know, I don't want you to have to, I, I, I might've right. probably shared this with you when we were talking, but like, I remember, you know, my, my, my abuser being arrested, taken to jail, you know, for, for beating me up. And then me feeling like, oh my gosh, this must be so hard for him. Like, <laughs> He, yep. he's probably freezing in a jail cell with newspapers yeah. over his body and, and hung yeah. over. And like, like, I just, I empathize. I, I have a big heart, but yeah. like I overemphasize with yeah. that instead of like yeah. looking at the bruises on my body, you know, right, <laughs> like, right, right. and, yeah. and how hard it was for me. And so for me, like that, that's always, that's the struggle. And so I have to confront myself. Like I need to yeah. address the fears that are within me, not so much other people. However, it's, I mean, easily translatable skill, right? Whether you're confronting yourself or someone else, it's just developing that confidence. And like anything else, the more you do it, the easier it gets. Um, And it it just takes the education, the knowledge, like the the resources, particularly, you know, those like that you provide, like, I love the little nuggets of wisdom that I can take practice, put into effect, and then realize it's okay. Let it go. I mean, for me, learning to not try to control the result but simply my mode of action, um, what I was going to do next was really a breakthrough for me. It doesn't sure. matter how the other person responds. It doesn't, I just have to do my part to say what's right, do what's right, you know, what, deliver the information, the news, whatever it is. So um, as one who just didn't really experience that confrontation um, or the fear of confrontation with others, um, 
I, I definitely experienced it myself. So I've taken those tools and, and tried to do it. And I mean, it's still hard. I still, yeah, still don't it's like extremely... to do it. It's still hard for me to enforce boundaries that I set in my personal and professional life, not because I'm afraid of what the other person is going to think of me, but because of my fear of and my feelings of a lack of self-worth. Yeah, it's interesting. I I think one of the things we pointed out together was that you know there's a difference between the let's say your 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 work environment where you're not really requesting to have personal needs met. So if you get rejected or you don't you get denied, it's not as deep, it's not as personal. But in our intimate relationships, you know we're, we're ha- we have our heart in our sleeve, we know our basic needs, and we're asking them to be met. And when they're not, it's it's much more con- you know confrontational, much more painful. Um, perhaps why the discrepancy there, you know. And one of the things, and I couldn't agree more. You know, confrontation is confrontation with your own self, with your own feelings. You know, the reason why we don't want to confront people is because they'll make us feel something that we don't want to feel. But that feeling is coming coming from within. And you know, the way I see it is, it's one of the scariest things that I've had to do in my life, and then what that I do with uh, with people, and actually. Uh, happens to be the biggest sort of breakdown, breakthrough uh, on the healing journey is is confronting our parents. You know what I mean? Uh, this is one of those things that I've been given a lot of slack for because ultimately I did the same. You know, the, the no contact in my personal life, and uh, you know, it's your parents. You know, we make excuses for them. We we uh, we we deny that what they've done, and we we take on you know all the crap because we just don't want to. We don't want that confrontation. But incidentally, it's that specific confrontation that allows us to really confront who we become because of our parents and as, as a result individuate and become our own person so talk about you know our experiences you know your experiences uh and, and then ultimately what we were able to do together with the role play and the confronting our parents how do you feel like um that has helped you individuate and ultimately be more confrontational or i should say more assertive with your specific sort of personal needs yeah and uh it's no surprise to you <laughs> that this was my least favorite part of our work yeah. together. <laughs> For most people. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> I, I really spent a lot of time, you know, in during the time we worked together and then after trying to understand why. Why was the reparenting exercises and validating myself, just saying the words that I would say to my own children and that I do say to my own children when they're experiencing something, saying it to myself. And I mean, the answer is because I struggled so deeply with a deep rooted, you know, depth of the ocean bottomless feeling of self-worth um you know being being kind of raised in a performance environment to this day i mean i love i I talk about this because it's part of what makes me a good lawyer like i love hard problems you know i love complicated stuff right because it makes me feel like oh i can perform i can add value and you're going to love me or you're going to you know praise me or value me exactly exactly so those you know i do think it's really important for someone who you know, might be on this journey right now, this healing journey, or someone who's, you know, thinking about starting or, or doing what's necessary to kind of write their heart and head that like, this journey isn't easy. It, like, <laughs> I tried to contemplate for a long time, what was harder being married to someone who had narcissistic, you know, characteristics or divorcing someone and having to live after <laughs> wow. you know, with That's that. Huge. And yeah, because it's it's not over like the problem with being in a relationship with someone with these characteristics is the wounds don't leave you just because the relationship is over and the patterns and feelings you have about yourself and the way you relate to other people don't leave either so it's extraordinarily important to heal the things from our our very early days that 
it doesn't mean you were abused. Like not everybody has horrific experiences, but that doesn't mean there's not wounds there. In fact, we all grow up wounded. We have, some of them are more visible. Some of them are not. Some of them are worse. Some of them are, are not. Yeah. If you think you don't have wounds, you probably have the worst type. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's, if, if you think that you're invincible, for sure. Right. right. Um, but, you know, my, my wounds, you know, of, of the five like major childhood wounds, like I, I think I struggled a little bit with with abandonment, um, with just, you know, sure. kind of emotional abandonment, particularly. Um, and, you know, and just just feeling like I had to do X, Y, or Z or be X, Y, or Z to be worthy of love. And I had, I have great parents, like, (laughs) and I have these wounds. So I want people to understand you don't have to have had this horrific childhood to have wounds present in your life. That's really, really important to understand because I didn't understand that for a very long time. And that's what made the reparenting exercises that we did difficult for me at first, because I'm like, Oh, this wasn't that bad. Like I want to talk about, you know, my marriage and all of these things that were like demonstrably awful, (laughs) but like, so going, the problem with doing that is you're like treating, you know, the, the surface wound and you're not really digging deep. You're not solving the thing that got you to be the way you are in the first place. Not that broken or there's something wrong with you, but you just have, you have healing to do so that you can change it going forward. Um, I, I despise that part of our journey because it's hard for me to validate myself. I love hearing right. these words from other people, but uh-huh. it's very hard for me to say them to myself and to do for myself what I would do for you know any other person, but particularly right. my own children. So that, that was tough for me. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 not easy. But then again, you know, if we're going to individuate and become our own independent sense of self, which is ultimately how we relate to the world in a healthy way, we have to have that independence to have, uh, it, you know, to have uh, interdependence. Otherwise, we can, you know, we're codependent. So uh, we have to go through that process, um, which sucks. But like you said, healing is tough. But God, it's so worth it. You know, I, obviously in your case and in my case too, I find our, our journeys to be a little bit, you know, quite similar in many different ways, uh, especially how we've chosen to influence the world. Obviously I've, cho- I've chosen my podcast and, um, and I, I, I myself, you know, take advantage of social media and try to influence people and, and you know, uh, spread the good word and, and, and spread healing, you know, information. Um, your particular method of doing it is, is quite interesting and actually I feel like very uh, impactful and I'm influenced by it. So I'm certainly learn- learning from you in that way. But what's your what's your method? And maybe you don't have a method, but I'm curious to know, wh- you know how, how do you plan on you know, using your past experiences, creating meaning out of all your pain and really taking, you know, expressing that to the world so that the world can wake up <laughs> to narcissism? Yeah, so um, there's, there's one thing in particular that I feel like defines defines this and it's having a mission. My mission is to remember who my audience is. A lot of times I think when people go through a healing journey, it's for themselves. I did that work. This is, this is separate and distinct from my own individual healing work. And so when I write on my blog or on LinkedIn, where I, you know, primarily use as my blog half the time, um, I'm writing to help someone else. I make sure that what my message is tailored. I mean, I, I wait for authenticity to strike me. I don't write content for, sure. for the sake of content. I, I don't believe in that in if you're trying to write about something personal. So what I what I do is I just always go back to like, what would I want to see when I was going through the depths of my struggle, when I was still right. in it, before I was aware yeah. of what it was. Um, right. There was a huge part of it for me where I had a breakthrough into understanding the word codependent. Like, 
when I was able to name what I was yeah. experiencing, because before that, I mean, I really didn't know. Not everybody, you know, is trained in, you know, in psychology or as, much, as educated as I, I think that I am. Um, I really didn't have any understanding. I would have defined codependency as relying on other people. Like, <laughs> and I'm like, no, that's not me. And there is a part of that that is true and what the definition is, but um, being able to name it was, was so huge for me. So I try to write things in, you know, small bits of information, kind of, you know, like your podcast does little nuggets that would be helpful for me to have read before I really understand what codependency was, or before I understood what narcissistic abuse was. Um, because truly most of the world doesn't know. I mean, there's an entire, um, group of people that work in the legal system to try to educate judges on narcissistic personality disorder. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll connect to you. That. Actually, there's a really um, interesting um, individual I think you would, you'd like to connect with, but um, that, that. Are, are working to educate judges and to um, give, you know, litigants in family court, particularly, you know, the information to, you know, educate court staff and their attorneys so that they can understand what you're dealing with because particularly in family yeah. court where I mean you're talking about not not just money but you're talking about people's yeah. children and time For and sure. the most precious assets um, sure. that that it's very easy for narcissists to win in court because they're so cool calm collected they yeah. form right For sure. and um you know and typically because we care so much as codependents we get we get a little bit more flustered or the emotion shines through and then we look unstable so yeah. I mean, it's really important crazy. to see that but yeah but just to kind of go back to what your question was like my my aim is just writing for someone who is in my position a number of years ago who, who didn't really know what they were dealing with um who might benefit from having a name for it or simply just like the tool little tools of wisdom to to take with them as as they're battling through and um, I don't, <laughs> I've been a little overwhelmed by, you know, the people that are interested in it. And it's not because I think everyone experiences narcissistic abuse, but rather because everybody understands or knows someone or can remember a time when they were in a similar position. Um, maybe it was short lived, maybe it was, you know, it was longer, but I think a lot of people just resonate to um, the authenticity of the message. Yeah, hundred percent. And you know, uh, I I read your posts just so you know, even if I don't like them. <laughs> but I I love I love your content. It's it's very inspirational. Um, you know, I I try to do the same, and I think that's why you know a lot of what you write about resonates with me. You know, obviously, I mean, it's not somewhat it is for me because I I do like to express myself and I do want to be understood and validated. You know, I do appreciate comments. Oh, you know, but I also think that in the, in a very similar manner, specifically why I do the content, the podcast is because, you know. What, what I have needed, you know, in the darkness. It's like what that, that those resources, and I can imagine there's countless people who are in that dark, who are still in that darkness and don't have those resources. Uh, so, you know, I remember actually swearing to myself that when I was in the pit of darkness, I remember, you know, one day I'm gonna get out of this thing and I'm gonna, I'm gonna fix this. Um, and I guess I'm, 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 where, I'm where I was hoped to be, you know, obviously continuously growing and striving, but- um, Let's you know, not downplay you know, that because that's a really big deal. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. And, and I continue to continuously aim to do that. And, and it's interesting because I gain healing too. You know, it's not just about uh, maybe a little bit selfish here, that, but ultimately I'm always trying to heal myself. And like you said, it doesn't end because growth doesn't end. And I find healing and growth to be synonymous. So uh, Krista, thank you so much for, for coming on and thank you for all that you do. Uh, it's been an amazing thing to watch. I've been so fortunate and blessed to be able to see all that you've uh, accomplished. Uh, 
or not all of it, but a lot of it. Um, so what, what are some of the, I guess, closing words and thoughts that you can leave our audience with who are in that pit of darkness? And um, yeah, what would you say to them? You know, I want to say something that I can't remember who said this to me, but I'll, I'll share it and note that my intention is to credit you, whomever you are, <laughs> <laughs> that withholding empathy and emotional support and love is not normal. There was a long period of my life where I thought like, hey, I'm, I'm really tough. You know, like I yeah. pride myself on being able to handle anything. I, used I don't to feel have, anything. <laughs> yeah, I had it as my tagline on one of my social media profiles. I can do anything and I can do it in stilettos. And I, I believe wow. that and I still do. I still believe that I'm capable through the gifts and the resources given to me by my creator that I can do anything and I'm, but I'm trying to do the right thing, not anything. Right. So doing anything is not actually the goal. Being able to handle anything isn't the goal. I wrote this recently. I'm, you probably saw it about the, the song um, by Red Jumpsuit Apparatus um, called Face Down in the Dirt. And I remember the, the lyrics go something like face down in the dirt. I said that didn't hurt. And it's just like, okay, what do you mm. got next? And I remember like being in, in an <laughs> yeah. episode of violence, um, you know, in my house and, you know, being battered and thinking whatever you got, like, I'm, I'm going to be able to take this and I'm going to get out of yeah. this because yeah. I thought I can take it on, but yeah, it's not normal. No, just no, no. because you're not physically abused does not mean you are not the victim of abuse. And so yeah. to anyone who looks at the emotional manipulation and, and, and particularly withholding affection and love and empathy, particularly that's, that's right. not normal. That's, that yeah. is, that is abuse. And I think I just, I want to, to give that message that, because that's something that I didn't understand. Like, I just thought for sure something wrong with me that I didn't deserve it. And that's not true. You do deserve those things. And, you know, if you are in that situation, if you are in the pits, first of all, know that there is light on the other side. I, it might not be the time for you to get out because of any number of things, but there is a path out and there are people that have gone through it before you. And there'll be many that come after you. Um, you, you, you can make it through and, and you shouldn't lose sight of that. You shouldn't make it through because you have to, you should make it through because you want to. It's awesome. Thank you so much, Krista. That is uh, so influential and uh, all your work is, is amazing. Like I said, so, um, so Krista, how can people reach you? Uh, I guess for services or just, I guess, to, to give you feedback on, on your journey. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I love talking about this because it's, um, it's, I don't want to say fun. That's probably a little bit of a stretch, but it's meaningful. It's that purpose from, from yeah. the pain. And, and that is soul work. And, and I enjoy that. Sure. So um, I have a blog, recoveringsuperwoman.com. Um, used to think I can do it all. And now I choose not to. <laughs> uh, love um, it. You can find me there through my social media. Um, I'm very active on LinkedIn, as I said. Um, my, my name's Krista Lynn, but my, uh, my, uh, hashtag or my my handle name is legally crystalline um and i also like i said i run um i found i just founded a company um that provides training for for in-house counsel um general counsel you the letter u.com um but yeah I'm, I'm glad to connect with anyone um doesn't have to be you know for any sort of services i just i enjoy sharing things that i've learned and hearing other people's experiences and i i would be remiss if we 
you know, close this out without saying how instrumental you were in my recovery. I I was a ways into my journey when, you know, I came across your podcast and then reached out to you for services. Um, but I really feel like you catapulted me from, you know, <laughs> where I was in my, my journey to much further along. And I, I find, you know, my, my active listening of your podcast still, you know, helpful to me, you know, um, it's probably, I don't know how many episodes you've done now, but I know that your audience and your reach and, and your downloads are huge and, and the, you've been a, a true gift in my life. And I don't say that because I paid you for services. I say that from oh, the bottom yeah. of my heart. So thank you. Yeah. Well, thank, no, it's my pleasure. It's an honor. And thank you for those kind words. And um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I, I love doing this, you know, I, it's yeah. I, I guess you can say it's fun, <laughs> but it's also <laughs> meaningful, you know, it yeah. is meaningful because ultimately I've been through this. And when I was on my journey, I had people there for me and I look back and I say, it wasn't for you. So I'm glad I was able to be that for you. And I know you'll continue to be that for other people. So Kristen, thank you one last time for coming on. It's an honor to have you here. Pleasure is mine. Thank you. It's my pleasure. And thank you all so very much for listening to this episode. Until next time, all the best.